this is Christmas season and just in um, thinking, praying on what to share with us, I kind of um, thought of sharing something about the season. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. You might want to title this the plan of redemption. Genesis 3.15. This is God speaking here. He said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Like I said, I'm talking about the plan of redemption. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you've been good to us. Thank you for business we've had already today. Thank you for your word that will go in forth. Thank you because our hearts are receptive, our minds are open. We trust that by your spirit you'll unveil, unfold, and reveal the word of God to our spirits. And we won't just be hearers of the word alone. Will be doers of the same. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Well, this scripture here, this was after Adam had disobeyed God. Remember, God had told him that um, he should, could eat of all the trees in the garden. Well, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he wasn't to eat of it. God said, the day he eats of it, he will die. The literal Hebrew actually says, in dying, you will die. In dying spiritually, you will die physically. Eve was deceived. Adam was not. Adam knew just what he was doing. He disobeyed God. And as a result of that, he became separated from God. We know that physical death, sickness, disease, all such things were never a part of God's original creation. Now, what's the reason for the creation of the universe? It was because of planet Earth. What's the reason for the creation of planet Earth? It was because of man. What's the reason for the creation of man? The father heart of God. God wanted a family. He wanted sons and daughters that he could fellowship with on terms of equality. He craved that. So he decided to start with one man, Adam. From that man, he made the woman. And then he gave them the responsibility of bringing forth his family. But Adam did the unthinkable. He committed high treason. He bowed the knee to God's arch enemy, his own arch enemy. Romans 5.12 says, So by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin. It says, And so death passed upon all men, in that all have sinned. So when Adam disobeyed God, he got separated from God, and he became a subject of the devil. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, of obedience unto righteousness. So by obeying sin, man became a subject of death, spiritual death, which gave birth to physical death, gave birth to all the eels on this earth. And um, no sooner had that happened before God began to speak. Now it looked like God's dream had been shattered. The dream of having a family. Now, the biggest failure that ever has been recorded is this. That's the biggest failure. So, in a sense, you could say that God failed. Well, he didn't. It was man that failed. But, in a sense, God's dream failed. But, you know, nothing ever beats our father. He's a master at snatching victory out of seeming defeat. He's a master at turning things right around. And that's exactly what he did here. So he began to speak. Began to release his faith. And then he said this. He said, he will put enmity between thee and the woman. Thee there is talking about the serpent, the devil. And between thy seed. That's the children of the devil and her seed. Now, the seed is not of the woman. The seed is of the man. The seed is not of the woman. But did God know what he was talking about here? Sure. God was suggesting something. That a child will be born independent of the natural processes. And that child will be the seed of the woman. You see, Adam was created. The rest of the human race was generated. If Jesus had come the way we came, he would have been a fallen being. 
So God had to do a miracle. And really, the miracle of the incarnation is the greatest miracle that ever happened in the sense realm, in the natural, in the realm of the senses. It's the greatest miracle. Of course, you know, the greatest miracle is the new birth. You know, but in the sense realm, the incarnation, which is what he's suggesting here. So he said he'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Well, how did Satan bruise Jesus' heel? In his earth walk, you know, eventually Jesus got to be crucified. He faced challenges while he walked amidst us. And on that cross he hung. There he bled and died for us. So Satan did bruise his heel. And then, you know, the church today, the satanic persecution of the righteous, how we face challenges, how we face tests and trials, that's the devil, you know, in our earth walk as believers, as we walk this earth, bringing us challenges. But notice it said that the seed of the woman will bruise thy head. Now, the Bible is not a Western book, it's an Eastern book. In Eastern culture, when you talk about bruising the head of a ruler, it actually means to break the lordship of that ruler. So God was saying this, that Satan's dominion was going to be broken and that there was going to be this seed of the woman who will come and who will get that done. Now, he was talking about the incarnation. We know that nothing but an incarnation could save man. After man had sinned he got separated from god alienated from god it wasn't too many years down the line before the knowledge of god was obscure to man the greatest revelation of himself that god could give to spiritually dead men was the law and that was grossly inadequate because they when god came on the scene they wanted to stone him and these are folks who already had the law so you see it will take nothing but a revelation of God to man for man to know what God is really like and thank God that in Jesus Christ that did happen Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man we see in John's gospel the first chapter from the first verse where the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God it says the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made Verse 14 says, and the word was made flesh, or the word took upon himself flesh and dwelt among us. It says, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. Jesus is God taking upon himself a physical body. And the Bible says, no one has seen the Father. It said, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. There were different aspects to Jesus' ministry, Jesus' purpose, his mission statement on the earth. There were different aspects to it. One face of it, which was a very important face, was for him to reveal the Father. Was for him to show what the Father was really like. What God was really like. Otherwise, people had all kinds of ideas about him. Some people's idea of God is one fellow waiting for you to make a mistake so he could bat your head, so he could break your skull, so he could punish you. you know, that was some people's idea of God. But no, he's not that kind of a God. He's a good God. He's a good God. Jesus revealed him as Father. So he's a Father God. In John 17, 23, he says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So you see, the Father loves us. He may be God to the world. He may be judge to the sinner. But he's Father to the new creation man. He's our Father. He longs to take a Father's place. To perform a Father's part. In 1 Peter 5, 7, the Bible says, Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. The Amplified Classic says, Casting the whole of your care. All your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and he cares about you watchfully. So he's a father. Jesus revealed that when he met sin, he forgave it. The woman that was caught in the very act, those 
Jews, those Pharisees, so far they couldn't see, so sad they couldn't see, couldn't see the truth of God's word. Pharisees and sad you sees. You know, the Pharisees brought the woman to Jesus. They said, well, the law of Moses said we should stone her. What do you say? Well, if you knew what the law said, why are you bringing her? You see, it wasn't about the law. It was just about trying to catch Jesus, looking for something to put on him, you know. And as far as they were concerned, Jesus was between a rock and a hard place. If Jesus said, stone her, then they said, you see, look at Messiah. Just imagine, you know, trending on Twitter the next morning. Of course, you know, there wasn't Twitter then. The Messiah leads in the stoning. The, they, are, they are Messiah leads in the stoning of a poor widow woman. You know, some sensational thing like that. Just to bring him to disrepute. And if he said, don't stone her, so-called Messiah, telling people not to keep the commandment of God. Just imagine that. So they thought they had caught him. Well, Jesus is just writing on the sand. You know, different people have speculated what he was writing. Some have said maybe he was just writing their sins. I doubt that. Some have said maybe he was just playing with the sand or something. Well, whatever he was writing, when we get to heaven, we can ask him, what were you writing that day? But Jesus didn't say, don't stone her. He said, he who is without sin should cast the first stone. Now, he didn't say, the rest of you have to be without sin. We just need one person who is without sin to throw the first stone. Once that person has thrown the first stone, even if you have sin, you can throw the second, the third, the fifth, the hundredth, and you can keep stoning. But you see, that's how they started leaving, from the oldest. You know, the longer they had lived, the more they had sinned. And so from the oldest, they started leaving, one by one. Oh, I have food on fire. Oh, eh, my friend, my friend, my friend is waiting for me. Because their consciences began to prick them. That they were just being hypocrites. You know, until they were all gone. Jesus now asked that, where now are thine accusers? Have any man condemned thee? See this in John 8, 1 to 11. She said, no man, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Amen. Then he said to her, go and sin no more. You see, so we saw God's attitude towards sin. He didn't condone it. But he showed mercy to the sinner. Amen. He brought forgiveness. We saw his attitude towards sickness. Everywhere he met it, he healed sickness. Acts 10, 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You know, Jesus is the healer. Satan is the oppressor. God does not have sickness. God has never made anybody sick yet. God doesn't make people sick. It's the devil that makes people sick. Luke 13, 16 says, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound low these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So when Jesus met sin, he forgave it. When he met disease, he healed it. When he met needs, he met them. The water, the wine had finished at Cana of Galilee. And his mother said to them, Give them quality advice. Whatever this guy tells you to do, you guys better do it. If you know what's good for you. Well, and he said to them, go fill the pots with water. They did. said, take it to the governor of the feast. By the time they got to him, the water had become wine. He met the need. When there were the 5,000 and all they had were five loaves, two fish, he blessed it and he fed the multitude. When it was time to pay tax, he said to Peter, go catch your fish. Uh, go catch fish. First one you catch, open its mouth. You're going to see enough money there for my tax and yours. So we saw God's attitude towards those things because jesus came as a revelation of the father but his ultimate goal was for him to go to that cross his ultimate goal you see he was the incarnate one a man had sold us out and a man had to buy us back you know for man to be saved what's really the object of the incarnation you know christmas time we try to talk about gifts and that's great we try to talk about different things and that's awesome but really, what's the essence of Christmas? Christmas, you know, we talk about the birth of Christ and we celebrate his birthday. But have you noticed that when we celebrate people's birthdays, we don't see them as a baby. And we all we look at, they don't stay a baby. You know, you're celebrating your late father's birthday. You don't look for his picture as a baby, and then you keep talking about the baby, the baby, the baby. If all that Jesus was was a baby, we'll always still be sinners. Amen. Thank God he was born a baby in a manger, but he didn't die a baby in a manger. He lived. 
Christmas is when we talk about the essence of his life. What his life brought. And the truth is his life brought redemption for the human race. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The man was born to die. The ultimate assignment, the ultimate purpose was for him to go to that cross and die in our stead. Now we know that John 1, in talking about the incarnation, the 12th verse says, But whosoever, anyone, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So, the essence of the incarnation is for us to receive him into our hearts and become God's sons. Now, the only way we can become God's sons is by receiving eternal life. That's why John 10.10 10 says, For God, uh, thief coming up before to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and come, that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. So the only way we can become God's children is by receiving the life of God. And we can't receive the life of God until Satan's dominion over us has been broken. And Satan's dominion over us cannot be broken until somebody pays the price, the penalty for our sin. And for all that to happen, the person had to qualify as the Lamb of God, spotless, sinless. And thank God Jesus was that Lamb of God. A man sold us out. A man had to buy us back. You see, God did not just write off our debts and just say, guys, I'm just going to write off your debt. Then the devil will tell him to do the same thing to his own sins. No, he redeemed us on perfectly legal grounds. Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered up for our offenses and he was raised up for our justification. The marginal rendering says he was delivered up on account of our offenses. And it was raised up when we were declared righteous. So, our sin nature was laid upon him. Our sins were laid upon him. He partook of spiritual death in man. You know, when he was in that garden of Gethsemane, Jesus began to pray. He was under such intense pressure that he began to sweat blood. That must have been serious. And then, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass over me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, what was it that made him feel that way? Was it the fact that he was going to be beaten? Yes, the beating was gruesome. But I dare say, it seemed Paul was beaten more than Jesus was. Jesus probably got 39 stripes once. Paul got 39 stripes five times. Now, how many stripes really were Jesus beaten on the cross? Couldn't have been 39. Must have been more. How do I know? Roman soldiers beat him. They don't count. The people that count are the Jews. And in Jewish law, God had told them that you must never beat a fellow Jew more than 40 strokes of the cane. Because if you did, that person will become vile to you. It's in the law of Moses. So what they did is that they did 40 less one. Just in case they miss a count. You know, so they did 39. Oh, those guys were so religious. You know, yeah, he was beaten. Yeah, he faced all those things. His beard blocked off, a crown of thorns on his head. He was flogged. He was hung on that cross. He died. That was horrible. But you see, there was a cup that was even more bitter than that. It was the fact that he was going to be separated from God. It was the fact that he was going to bear the sin nature of mankind, which he did. And, um, you know, Jesus will never pray and say, my God, never. It was always Father. But on that cross, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, of course, God forsook him because God is a prayer eyes and to behold iniquity. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So he was made sin. He was made sin. God had to look away. And then our sins, those are two different things. Our sin nature was laid upon his spirit. Did Jesus become a sinner? No. But God laid our sin nature upon his spirit. He was our substitute. And then all the sins of mankind were laid upon him as well. He got separated from the Father. He, and then, if he hadn't died spiritually, he couldn't have died physically. He died. And where did he go when he died? The place where people separated from God go. That's where he went. He went to hell. I'm not talking about Abraham's bosom. He went to hell, hell. Yes, he later went to Abraham's bosom, but not that day. And what did he go to do in hell? He went to suffer in our stead. He paid that price. Remember, his deity were humanity. And one hour of deity suffering is worth more than an eternity of humanity suffering. 
And after those three days and nights, God looked at man's crime and man's treason, man's sins. And then he looked at Jesus' sacrifice. And then he said, yes, it's enough. He has satisfied the claims of justice. He has met the demands of the law. And then he was declared righteous right there. And when he was declared righteous, we were declared righteous. And then he was made alive out of spiritual death. And when he was made alive, we were made alive. Because you see, we hung on that cross with him. We died with him on that cross. We were buried with him. He was not a matai. He was our substitute. Amen. And then he took Satan and he conquered him. He brought the devil to naught. He took sin and he conquered it. Amen. He arose triumphant over death, over hell, and over the grave. He's the one now who's got the keys of death and of hell. Now, by the time you've got the keys to your enemy's abode, you know he's in soup. Amen. Jesus is the authorized one. He's the one with the authority. He redeemed us. He obtained eternal redemption for us. He redeemed us completely. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood. You see, this season of Christmas is a time to look back at that redemptive work. It's a time to look back at the fact that man is brought back in union with God. That God and man are now united again. You see, Jesus is an incarnation, no doubt. But there's an incarnation, a real incarnation in the new birth. God is still made manifest in the flesh, in the new creature. If you're born again, you have the life and nature of God in your spirit. You have God's substance and being on the inside of you. And not just that, the Holy Ghost himself is living in you. He's making your body his home. He's making your body his abode. We are brought into vital union with God. And so you need not live a life of defeat. You need not live a life of sickness. You need not live a life of lack. You need not live a life of failure. You can take your place in Christ. You can fulfill the purpose of God. You see, that's what Christmas is all about. The fact that a man came, an incarnation, 100% God, 100% man. He, man and God are united in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came so that we might become sons of God. If you're born again, you're a child of God. You're born again, you have the life of God in your spirit. Colossians 1, 12 to 14, it says, Giving thanks to the Father, which hath made us meet, or who hath made us able, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We have an actual redemption from the devil's dominion. Amen. Satan is no longer our Lord. Satan is no longer our master. Sin does not have authority over us. Bad habits don't have authority over us. Disease, you know, with some people, sickness is just a habit. Nothing but a habit. They're just sick as a habit. Listen, stop that habit. It's a bad habit. Amen. You don't have to walk in disease. You don't have to live in that realm. Why? Because of Christmas. My question to you today is this. Are you taking advantage of your redemptive rights in Christ? Are you taking advantage of all that Jesus purchased for us? Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham, verse 14, might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the spiritual faith. So you see, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. And that curse is threefold. Spiritual death, sickness and disease, and poverty. Poverty is a curse. It's part of the curse we've been redeemed from. Amen. Are you taking advantage of all that's yours? That's my question. First question. And my second question is this. What are you doing with the message of redemption? Are you telling the story? Are you sharing the good news? See, there are many on a fast lane to hell. Yes, you know, Christmas, we talk about how those gifts were given. We exchange gifts, and that's great. But listen, if all we do is exchange gifts, we, we've missed the import of Christmas. The greatest gift, really, is the gift of eternal life. What are we doing to see to it that somebody gets it? You know, it's the end of a year. 
How many people did you bring to Jesus this year? Don't tell me. What did you do? How effective were you in taking your place in Christ this year? Walking in purpose. Walking in close fellowship with God. How would you score yourself this year? Well, we can't do anything about the past other than to learn from it. But as we reminisce, as the year comes to a close, let's think back about Jesus. He's the reason for the season. Redemption. The finished work that he did. And I want you to propose in your heart that I'm going to take my place in Christ. I'm going to take advantage of my redemptive rights. I'm going to take advantage of my redemptive privileges. I'm going to walk in my dominion, in my authority, in everything that's mine. And I'm going to be a conduit of that same life. How somebody can come into Christ. Amen. Praise God. Well, I guess I'm done. You know, it's been a while we had questions with this session. So I just wanted to just share with us a little bit. You know, Christmas season, we usually talk about the baby, the baby, you know, then the baby, the baby, we bring the baby, the baby. We're talking about the baby, the baby, you know. We claim to be marking Jesus' birthday. And then it's always the baby, the baby, the baby, the baby. When we talk about Awolowo's birthday, we don't talk about, we don't look for a picture of the baby, Awolowo. When we talk about Zeke's birthday, we don't look up uh, uh, the baby Zeke. No, we, we celebrate birthdays of people, right? Great people. What do we do? We talk about everything they stood for. Their life, their death, their legacy. Yeah, so why is it that? You see, I almost think it's the devil wanting us to just keep Jesus as a baby. Jesus is not a baby anymore. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And thank God for gifts. And let's give all the gifts we can. It's great. It's good. But beyond that, don't let's make Christmas about rice. Don't let's make Christmas about parties. Yeah, nothing wrong with parties. Nothing wrong with rice. You know, rice is good. But let's not forget it's about redemption. Taking our place and helping somebody else to find Jesus and to take their place. Amen. Questions? Thoughts? Comments? Someone said to me the other time, he said, it's been a while we asked questions after the teaching somehow we haven't had enough time so questions 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 i said enough to generate some questions 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 anybody's got questions god's got answers yes please sister ipk go right ahead When I saw you raise your hand, I knew you were going to ask a very intelligent question. <laughs> so I was bracing up, and I'm bracing up for the million-dollar question. Go right ahead. <laughs> Aha. Okay. It says, I will cause us, when God told the devil, right? Yes. I'll cause hostility between you and the woman, and between yes. your offspring and her offspring. Yes. He will strike your head. Yes. And you will strike his heel. Yes. Does it matter the order? Because we're saying like the 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 seed will strike the head, and you will strike his heel. Does it matter the order? Well, uh, from other places in Scripture, we could say uh, we can get overtly technical about some of that. But sometimes in Scripture, the order is not always the order is not necessarily always. Very significant. Uh, very significant. So if you're talking about the order that he, he, he broke his, he broke the devil's dominion first. Uh, the healer, you know, speaks about the church in our earth walk. Yes, in our earth walk. You know, when you talk about heal, someone's feet. The church in our earth walk. And how the devil comes against us. Yes. yes. Also, he his children crucified Jesus on the cross. Uh, he thought he was doing, he was dealing with God's plan. He was ending it. He was finishing the God. I'm finishing God's plan. He didn't know he was signing his own defeat warrant. 
です。Praise God.Yes, please. There's this question in my heart now, right now. If, if Jesus hadn't come to die, as in choose not to die or choose not to come, yes. what would God have done? What would he have done? It doesn't look like there was any other way. Man would have stayed in his sins, eternally separated from God. Yeah, it's good to think. It's good to think. Yeah. Somebody said, why did God chase Adam uh, from the Garden of Eden? Now, you know, after there was the tree of life in that garden, I seem to think that what Adam should have done, rather than eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil, was to have eaten the tree of life. If you had eaten of that tree of life, you would have become immortal in that state of fellowship with God. Now, after eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if he ate the tree of life, he will have become immortal. And it will have been impossible for him to die. And if it was impossible for man to die, it will have been impossible for man to be redeemed. Because for man to be redeemed, Jesus had to die. And if Jesus couldn't die, man couldn't be redeemed. The man will have become an eternal criminal. So that's why God banished him from that tree of life. Let me say, where is the tree of life today? I don't know. Well, the Bible says in heaven there's a tree of life there. Maybe he just lifted that tree out of Eden and took it to heaven. I don't know. I don't know. Yes, please. And Eve were going to sin. Why did he make and that? Yeah, yeah, and then he knew there was all this. Jesus was going to come. So what's the point of all the old Adam and Eve sinning and then Jesus coming? What's, what's okay. the point? You know, there's a difference between foreknowledge and predestination yeah god did not make adam and eve sin now god had a dream what was his dream he wanted sons god in his foreknowledge knew what would happen not that he is the one that determined it to go that way he knew man was going to goof and that's why god had already made a plan to fix it way in advance he had thought it all through thought it all out you know he's the one who declares the end from the beginning then, um, after man sinned, all kinds of allegations that universal man levied against God. If you knew he was going to sin, why did you still create him? Are you not the almighty God? Why did you not make it such that it would be impossible for him to sin? Why did you do it? Why did you? God say, okay, okay, you people may sure know. I'm going to shut your mouths forever. And this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to assume the liability for, liabilities of Adam's transgression. I'm going to personally take full responsibility for everything and i'm going to fix it so that my dream will still come to pass so that god knew it will happen is not why it happened it happened because adam made it happen amen hope that's a bit helpful yes sir okay <laughs> okay my question is um a little bit before um god met with adam when they fell um what life did Adam have? Million dollar question. <laughs> Two schools of thought. Yeah. Two schools of thought. There's a school of thought that says that Adam did not have the life of God. That what Adam had was perfect human life. And that if he had eaten of the tree of life, he would have then had life in his spirit. It's just like God said, I said before this day, uh, death and life, blessing and cursing, choose one. So tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil, choose one. And he chose tree of knowledge of good and evil. So that's one school of thought. That what Adam had was perfect human life. Well, the Bible says the first Adam was of the earth, earthly. The second Adam, heavenly. You know, this one was, nat was natural. The other was spiritual. So that's one school of thought. That Adam did not have the life of God. That he had perfect human life. Now, we know this, that Adam's physical body was neither mortal nor immortal. He had a perfect human body. That body was meant to regenerate itself somewhat you know science found a few things about that that after like every seven years or so the way the body originally was made the cells everything will just be new again so that's one school of thought another school of thought is that adam did have the life of god that when god breathed into his nostrils the breath of life 
that that was Zoe that he put into him. And that, you know, then in Luke, where he was given the genealogy, and he said, Adam, the son of God. Son is in italics. But at least it says in Luke 3, you know, it says of God. You know, of God. So that's another school of thought that Adam did have the life of God in his spirit. And um, so the people who teach eternal security, they don't believe that Adam had the life of God. Because they say, if he had the life of God, that meant he lost the life of God. So they will never agree that Adam had the life of God. E.W. Kenyon, E.W. Kenyon taught that Adam had a perfect human body. Now, Brother Hagin, hmm, he held both positions at different times. I can tell you. I can tell you what book of his you will find what. If you read this book, he said this. If you read this one, he said that. Well, so I tried to ask which one was his final position on it. <laughs> in more recent, in his, in the 70s, he held, at a time in the 70s, he held that position that Adam had perfect human life. In some word of it magazines in the 70s, you see that. But then in, um, in, in biblical history, financial prosperity, he seemed to infer that Adam had the life of God. In Zoe, he seemed to infer that Adam had the life of God. You know, so, what do I think? I see merit in both. I see merit in both. <laughs> well, whether he had the life of God or he didn't have the life of God, I have the life of God. Abhi, that's the one that matters. You know, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, but it's good. At least I'm being honest, and I'm being—I'm telling you the truth, brother Higgin. At some points, if you get his article, what happened? He had this one article, one of those pamphlets that they used to. It's out of print now. I have a copy. In that article, he said that what Adam had was perfect human life. If you read some word of it magazines, 1979, yeah, there's one particular article: Christ, our substitute. You know, what year was it? I think it was, uh, I think it was maybe 1980. Yeah, 80, 81. April. I think it was April. I think April 1980. He crashed our substitute. You know, but then, in some other places, he said Adam had the life of God. So, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I think Adam had the life of God. When God breathed into him, you know, Bible says he became a living soul. Some translations say he became a speaking spirit. Yeah, I know some online folks, I'm generating some thoughts. Yeah. There's a question I thought someone was going to ask me. Where Jesus said on the cross, Verily, verily, I say unto you, today, you will be with me in paradise. That How will I say that Jesus wasn't in paradise that day? Yeah, it's the punctuation. It's just like in John 9, where they asked Jesus, Who did sin that this man was born blind? And the King James seems to say that Jesus said, Neither has this man sinned, nor his parents, uh, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. So that the man was born blind, so that God could heal him. That's the way the punctuation puts it. But that can't be right. That couldn't be right. If you put a full stop, Neither had this man sinned, nor his parents sinned, full stop. And you now start the next sentence, But that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must do the works of him as sending while it is day. The night comes when no man can walk. So the same thing there. Verily, verily, I say unto you, comma, that's the way King James puts it, today you will be with me in paradise. So that seems to say that he was going to be in paradise that day, and that thief on the cross will be with him then. If you remove the comma, now you know the, the Greek text wasn't punctuated. It was the translators that punctuated as it felt necessary. If you now make it, verily, verily, I say unto you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. So it's today that I'm talking to you. I, I'm not telling you when I'll be in paradise or when I won't. But at least I'm talking to you today that you'll be in paradise when I'm in paradise. That seems to look more like it. Then, when Jesus paid that price and defeated the devil and did that on that resurrection month, you know, of course, Jesus didn't die, couldn't have died on a Friday. He couldn't now. <laughs> he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't have been a Friday. The thing is that there were different Sabbaths. There were different Sabbaths in that time. He couldn't have died on a Friday. You know, because he said as, uh, as 
Noah, uh, Jonah was in the his belly of the fish for three days and nights. So the son of man, if he died on Friday, it's not 72 hours. It's not up to... Uh, 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 so, the thing is this, he died. He was raised from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, when he, in that redemption story, after he did that, he arose. Redemption wasn't complete. It's like, you know, people, Easter will soon come now. And people will take John 19.30, it is finished. And people, preachers preach on it. When Jesus said it is finished, redemption was finished. Everything was finished. This was finished. That was finished. Redemption wasn't finished. Redemption was just starting. Because after he arose from the dead, after conquering the devil, he was now on his way to heaven. That was the next place he went. On his way there, Mary Magdalene came to the grave. And then, because of her devotion, Jesus had to show himself to her and say, okay, go tell my brethren. And then he went to heaven. And then he took his blood. Now, if somebody dies and the person is raised from the dead, do they still have blood? Lazarus had blood now. After he was raised from the dead after four days. He wasn't bloodless. So after Jesus was raised from the dead, he still must have had blood. You know, but how come he doesn't have blood today? Because he took his blood to heaven. Now, what exactly was that ceremony like? I don't know. You know, but when we get there, I don't know. And I don't want to. It's like when he conquered Satan. <laughs> when he conquered Satan, how exactly did he conquer Satan? I don't know, really. I don't know. I don't know. When we get to heaven, we can say, God, we want to watch that film. Show us exactly how it happened. But he took his blood to heaven. And now, was it that the blood was now drained out of him? I don't know. He, now he has flesh and bone. So he doesn't have a flesh and blood body anymore. So obviously his blood is in heaven. Where exactly in heaven is it? Did he, was it that he took it to the father? Did the father drink it? Did the father pour it on the floor? Did the father... I don't know. But at least we do know that he went to heaven. The father accepted the sacrifice. The father was pleased with that sacrifice. He completed it there. Then when he did, he now came back to the earth. And he now went to Abraham's bosom. And he now preached to those souls in prison. We ought to do a study on what happened from the cross to the throne. And just do an exhaustive study. You know, some of these things will make us think. Will make us ask questions. Yeah. A few other questions. Okay. 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 Is uh, the one is the is 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 the yoga at the top right now? Whoever you like, whoever you want <laughs> to hear. Yes. Ma. Okay. Um. When Jesus was on the cross. Yes, ma'am. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. Can we then say that he took on the nature of the devil? And that was why the Bible also records that he's the first born again from the dead? Absolutely. We can, we, it's not just that we can say it, we should say it. We should say it, yes. Because it is the truth. However, this is what I will say. Okay. When I teach on some of these areas, eh, I've learned to be a bit careful. Now, we speak wisdom among them that are mature. By the time you go to some people and say that Jesus was a child, you know, really, Jesus was a child of the devil on the cross. Yeah, that was what I was going to yeah. say, that the devil you know, became his father on the, the cross. The devil became Jesus' father. Became you know, that's mother. really the truth. That is the truth, yes. He got separated from, from God. God. But you know, just go to Facebook or Twitter and say, the devil became Jesus' father on the cross. You know that they will cancel you. Uh, you are <laughs> so, those are areas where we just carefully, carefully talk about. E.W. Kenyon was very direct in talking about those things. Brother Hagin also was direct in talking about them. At some places, he was careful. Pastor Hagin, in his book, Jesus' Name Above All Names, when he got to that part, eh? You know, he tried to be careful in the way he put it. The truth is this. If you don't believe Jesus died spiritually, you are not born again. Yes. You, can't, you are not born again. You know, that's the truth. But so many people really, if we really think about 
what we actually believe and we trace it fully we we all must believe that but sometimes some of those things are better there are ways we want to be careful in saying it so if you just go to people it's just like um it's just like teaching that if a believer sins now and the rapture takes place right after that he won't miss it now i know that because the sin he committed wasn't that he denounced jesus's lordship yes now he's going to answer to jesus at the judgment seat of christ for the way he lived no doubt but you know teaching that and saying that people will just say that you are condoning sin <laughs> so if you say that the devil was jesus psalm 22 says i'm but a worm and no man he was in union with the devil he, he said as moses set up the brass serpent in the wilderness even so shall the son of man be lifted up brass is a type of sin the serpent is a type of the devil so jesus became one with the devil on that cross he was the father forsook him he that he died physically meant that satan dominated him yes uh, because physical died. death is not from god so satan dominated him. him even if you don't believe that he died spiritually at least he died physically and that physical death it wasn't god so it was the devil satan dominated him you know but there are areas where we need to be even in this audience there may be not everybody may be finding it funny with me right now <laughs> Yes, even among our Rema folks. Yes, true, true. Yes, that's the man. Anybody you like, let them ask a question. If you don't like their face, go right ahead. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. So my my question is um very direct. Um, when somebody is redeemed, the person is born again. Yes. But if along the line, yes. the person falls back to those things he's redeemed from. Okay. I want to know. I've had problems with it in time past. But I want to have a stand. Does the person, if he dies in those sins he went back to, okay. where does he go? Okay. Let me ask a question. Let me ask a question. I love your question. You know. You know, eh, this thing of answering question with question is not a Nigerian thing. It's a Jesus thing. They asked Jesus. They said, by what authority do you do these works? So he to ask them. Said John the Baptist, his baptism was he of man or of God. So I have precedent. This is my question. This is my question. What gets a person saved? What gets a person saved? Confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh -huh. And? And believing in your heart in that your god raised him from yes, death yes yes sir. now you know of course that if you really believe you will act yes sir and then you know that when a person does that hmm, a miracle takes place in the person's spirit yes sir eternal life yes is away which is the nature of god is imparted yes, to that man's spirit yes sir. so the man's spirit becomes recreated yes sir his spirit becomes brand new yes sir okay after his spirit is brand new, he still has the flesh. Yes, sir. Right? Yes, sir. Okay. When a believer sins, hmm? Yes, sir. Is it that what causes believers to sin? They are not they haven't renewed their mind sufficiently. Yes, sir. They are not keeping their flesh under subjection. Yes, sir. So it's not that their spirit lost eternal life. No, sir. Eh? It's just that they are, their recreated spirit was saying, Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But they did it. Mm -hmm. Now let me ask you by doing it did they lose eternal life no sir what did they do they broke fellowship uh -huh. so you see eh, mm -hmm. this is still the problem people think salvation is about i'm not i'm not going to drink anymore i'm not going to smoke anymore i'm not going to do this anymore if i believe that's what salvation is that's the only reason why i will think that if somebody who was saved now goes back to drinking and smoking, then he has lost his salvation. I never believed the Bible. I never believed in redemption. I never believed that it was by grace that we're saved through faith. You know what? Eh? Mm -hmm. You see this issue? As, as simple as it is, my observation is that 95% of Pentecostal preachers do not believe in the new birth. Really. Mm -hmm. You have to
to not believe that it is by grace and it's through faith. For you to think that because somebody lied, he lost his salvation. Was it that he stopped lying that got him saved? Mm -mm. He received God's nature. Yes, yes. There was a miracle. There was a miracle. Something took place in his spirit. He put his faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. Now, while I also say this, eh? There's also something I will add. I will add, and it's this. Now, can a believer, somebody get saved, can he lose his salvation? I believe he can. Because you are not a, you are not, my will is freer because I'm saved. Getting saved did not put me in bondage. If anything, it made me freer. Okay, can a believer choose to sin after getting saved? Yes, yes. So he still has his will. Right? Yes, sir. Can a believer exercise his will against God's will? Yes, sir. Hey, hey. If he can exercise it about lying, about drinking, he can exercise it about receiving or rejecting Jesus. Do you see my point? Now, what will get somebody who is saved now to become unsaved? One thing. What got him saved in the first place? He received Jesus yes. into his heart. There's only one thing that will get him unsaved is by rejecting yes. the lordship of Jesus. Yes, That's the only thing. Yes. However, let me say this. In Hebrews 3, the Bible says you shall exhort one another while it is called today. Lest any be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin in departing from the living God. So what does that tell me? So there's relationship, there's fellowship. I come in a right relationship with God by receiving Jesus into my heart. Once I've done that, I'm to maintain fellowship. How do I maintain fellowship? Through the word of God and prayer. I walk in love. I walk in the light. Then I'm walking in fellowship. If I break fellowship, do something wrong, worry, you know. You know, when people say, if a Christian sins, will he miss the rapture? I like to get technical on them. I ask somebody, okay, is worry a sin? They'll say yes. If a believer worries and because of that has high blood pressure and dies prematurely, where will he go? They will say heaven. Okay. They say if he now goes to do armed robbery and he was caught there and killed, where will he go? They will say hell. Is it that armed robbery is a worse sin than worry? Sin is sin. It's unbelief. Okay. God tells you don't travel. You travel. You have accident. You die on the way. You should go to hell by there. You disobeyed. But you see, sin where we are concerned is immorality, is lying, is drinking is smoking those are the ones that are sin. but sin is sin sin is a violation of the love law simple do you understand now the thing is this if a believer starts living in broken fellowship hmm, he drinks he smokes he doesn't go to church anymore what will happen he hasn't stopped being god's child he's still in a right relationship with god it's just that he's living in broken fellowship by virtue of living in broken fellowship, he will not be able to take advantage of his rights and privileges like he should. His faith won't work like it should now. The Bible says if our hearts condemn us, God is not in our hearts and knoweth all things. If our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. The only time you have confidence towards God is when your heart is not condemning you. But when your heart is condemning you because you know you are living in sin, you won't have confidence toward God. You won't be able to take advantage of your rights and privileges. You won't be able to hear God like you should. Isn't it? Now, if that believer now persists in that kind of lifestyle, he didn't denounce Jesus, but he's drinking, he's smoking, womanizing, he's not reading the Bible, he's not praying, he's cursing, he's living bad, living wrong. What will now happen is this. His heart will gradually start getting hardened. And a time can come that because of those wrong sins, his heart can get so hardened to the point that he will then say, even this Jesus, nothing for him. And he will reject Jesus' lordship. So, they are right in saying there's a danger in that kind of lifestyle. They are right. But the way they present it is that if you are not perfect, you won't go to heaven. If that's it, nobody will go to heaven. God will keep heaven. And he will be there with his angels. Is that clear? Uh -huh. So, there's a balance. Now, I'll also give a disclaimer. See, these are things that I won't go on Facebook and go and start posting them. I won't go on Twitter because 
now you've heard me you've heard everything you've heard this side you've heard that side you've heard me balance it you've seen that i'm not encouraging sin there's a way you can say if you just say if a believer sins now the rapture takes place he will go and you leave it there what does it look like you're saying guys it doesn't matter we don't have to live right that's that's how you know people will always take anything you say too far because of the lack of self-control in their flesh yes okay the way his hand has been jumping up okay he wants to ask a question okay okay yes he's our guest please go right ahead i'll amplify it we have uh, healing school starting at 12 right we finish healing school daily healing school okay yeah go ahead starting at 12 yes go ahead go ahead good morning everyone good afternoon um sir i just want you to nail some things um what is trending on social media is um, conflict between a particular man of god and the other and that is once saved always saved and it's a battle right now and so and then the there's a sect of another man of god that is defending the other one and there's one radical one that is saying lie lie all those kind of things now another point is this um giving your heart to christ again and again and again and again rededication 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 then the issue of um 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 ooh, I'm, I'm trying to mix up the third one right now but altar call altar call i have my stand on it but i want to know altar call what what's what, for you for for you sir as, as someone that everybody loves to listen to. Okay. The yes, thing sir. is this. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess to them out the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, eh, someone can answer an altar call and not get born again. So it's not about answering an altar call. Many times, we don't even present the gospel so that faith even never came. There was never an understanding they didn't know. They just felt somebody who is toasting one girl. And the girl has been saying, unequal yoke, unequal yoke. He would just spy the day she's around. He would go to that place. He would just run to the altar and start sobbing, rolling on the floor and crying and crying. Just because he wants to get girl. Yeah. So, the thing is this. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I confess you before my father. If you deny me before men, I deny you before my father. Brother Higgin, in his altar calls, he used to have people just stand by their seat. He said one day, while he was going to do that, he heard the audible voice of the Holy Ghost speak over his shoulder from inside him and tell him, call them to the front. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. So, there's just something about them taking a public stand that makes it easier for them to live the life. And then, they can be they can be ushered to the prayer room where someone can follow them up so it's not about when i got filled with the holy ghost i was in my bedroom nobody prayed for me with me you know i just read and then i acted on god's word i got saved in a meeting in a public gathering that's why i got born again so it doesn't matter whether it was by an altar call it was by the house it was in a brothel wherever if a person would believe in his heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, confess with his mouth that Jesus is his Lord, he's saved. The whole thing about one saved, always saved. You see, both people, both, both positions rather, I don't agree with either of them. The people that say one saved, always saved, I believe they are wrong. The people that also on the other extreme and say that, you know, they also preach like if you do something wrong, you've lost your salvation. They are also wrong. Neither position is right. It's actually old school Calvinism. It's Calvinism. It's Calvinism, Arminianism. It's just repackaged. It's, it's new school Calvinism. The truth is in the middle of the road. So neither extreme is correct. So the people who are fighting it, they, those people who are fighting that teaching, they present a picture like, if you do something wrong, you miss your salvation. They are wrong. They are just as extreme as those other people. I don't believe either position is correct. I don't see either position in the Bible. If we had, our time is up. If we had enough time, eh, it's something because I love, I, I love doctrine. I love, let's open Bible. Let's go to Greek. Let's go to Hebrew. 
let's then i'll tell you who said this i'll tell you who said that i'll tell you what this person said i used to go to get the materials of people that oppose a certain position hmm? i will get what this person said why did he say it i will look up his scriptures then i will be able to punch the hole in what is wrong with his position then i'll go to the other people that's how i studied so it helped me be sure of what i believe and know it very well so the truth is in the middle of the road it's not on this side it's not on that side those people fighting them are just as wrong that's what i'll say that's what i'll say our time is up but you are going to ask something if it's something we can just take in 30 seconds just go ahead and say it out the fall yes he, did he have a mortal body and a mortal body both yeah. or none his body was neither mortal nor immortal he had a perfect human body if his body was immortal it would be possible for him to die if his body was mortal he was going to die he was immortal neither was it immortal he was just a perfect human body like the kind of body jesus also had it was neither mortal nor immortal thank you sir all right praise god I'm glad this stimulated our minds, right? And stimulated our study. If you have other questions, we could gist after.